Let us pray. Father, may your word be our rule today. May your spirit be our teacher. And may your glory be our only purpose for being here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I I had to apologize to uh, Father Don. Yesterday after the... uh, Yesterday after the funeral, he walked into my office, and he had things on his mind, and I said to him, you see, the additional gray hairs, my fault, sorry. I said to him, <laughs> I said to him, so what are you preaching tomorrow? And he said, I said, what are you preaching tomorrow? And he goes, <laughs> it is uh, it's my privilege to uh, have the opportunity to share God's word with you today. I was just um, thinking, I think this is the third time in five Sundays that, that I preach, so, you know, it's... Yeah, well, it just is one of those things where God is gracious to me and allowing me to open his word. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus only. <laughs> you know, I, I, Psalm 139 is probably, one, is probably one of my favorite psalms. I mean, it's a psalm that gives glory to God, and we know that we can't go any place where God is not with us, and He knows our hearts, knows our minds. The darkness is not too dark for him to know where we are, not only only physically, but emotionally and spiritually and all of those things. So um, I thought about that, but then I looked at 1 Corinthians, and in all honesty, 1 Corinthians is probably something that the church in general needs to to hear today, Uh, something that I need. I grew up in a church that was very isolated. Uh, what other people thought, um, they were not only wrong, but they were heretics. Um, and you didn't, uh, uh, you, didn't, you didn't have fellowship with them. I was talking with uh, Art Greenleaf on the way out. He said, you know, I was raised in the same type of church. He said, I began to have a ministry with people from other churches, and the people in my church said, you know, why are you, why are you with those folks? And so uh, sometimes we, we, we come into those things. When we look at uh, the Corinthian times, we, we look at it, at, uh, and, and particularly as we see the letter, we know that at that particular time, Corinth was a place of immorality. Corinth was a place of idolatry. Corinth was a place where, where relationships were not, not always good. And, and in all honesty, uh, I'm not sure that Corinth was that much different than where we are today uh, in our country. So the specific passage that I want to look at to you, with you today is the passage that was read from 1 Corinthians, but I don't want to do the whole passage. I know you want to go home, so I thought that I'd emphasize uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And when we look at 1.10, we have to look at how we got to 1.10. In verse 2, the church of God uh, that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is both their Lord and ours. 
one of the first things that we recognize about the church in Corinth is that we recognize that it was a place that uh, it was a place that where where they knew and they loved Jesus as their Savior. They had they had heard the message that Jesus was the one who provided salvation, who had uh, begun uh, a work in us. He calls them. Uh, you'll notice in verse two, uh, he says, "The church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified, that is, those who have been set aside." And what happens when we come to know Jesus as our personal Savior, we are set apart. We are, we are sanctified. We now become part of the church of Jesus Christ as opposed to being those people who are outside of the family and church of God. He also says there that you're saints. You know, we talk about the saints. So if you're, if, when you start to look around you, and there are those sitting next to you who have come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Believe it or not, they're saints. I know that it's hard to believe. I, I, I love that little ditty that we used to say. One, uh, to live above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> you know, so, but the truth of the matter is, you and I, when we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we are set apart. That word sanctified and the word saint come from the same root word. So you have been set apart. You are saints. You are part of God's church. And did you notice, not just the local church. He talks about the church being the church of the world, not just in Ocala, but also in Biharamulo and any other place where people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So that's the first thing I want you to notice about the context in which he's going to make the statement that he makes. The second thing down in verse 7, it says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says to the Corinthians, you have everything that you need to be in the body of Christ. You have all of the gifts. The Spirit has given those things to you. The church does not lack for what it needs to be the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, to do the work that calls people to know Christ as Savior and Lord. You have all of those things. And just as he said it to the Corinthian church, he can say it to Christ the King Anglican Church as well. He's the one who has provided us with gifts from the Holy Spirit. And we thank God for that. The third thing in, the, in context that I would uh, suggest is we learn in verse 9 that God is faithful and will provide a place with them alongside of him. When it says in verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You're called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. One of the things that we need to remember is that we're not out here by ourselves. We are in the fellowship of Jesus Christ so that whether the per, when the person who is sitting next to you knows Christ as personal Savior, they're in the same fellowship with Jesus Christ as you are. They are one of God's children, just the same as you are. Okay? So that's the context in which he comes to the, to the verse that we want to look at. And these are all wonderful things, and we need to hold on to them. And I would really, really encourage you to read the letter of uh, uh, to the Corinthian church. 
So in verse 10, it begins this way. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Notice what he says. I appeal to you. Those of you who are King James fans, he would have said, I beseech you. Okay? I beseech you. It's the same word. I am calling out to you. That's the same word that's used over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Well, what he does in chapter 12 is that he says, all of these things that I've talked to you about by the mercies of God, I am now asking you to live as those who have come to a place where you believe everything that I've said. And in, in, Cor in the Corinthian letter, it's the same thing. I appeal to you. Because he then says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying there, I appeal to you based on your relationship with Jesus Christ. What? And he begins to talk with them. So everything that we say here is written to those of us who know Jesus as our personal Savior. Okay? We've come to a place where we recognize that we are sinners, we are lost and condemned, but Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, and by faith we say, Jesus, you're the one who gives me life. That's what happens here. That's what he's talking about when he appeals here. Paul's appeal is to the Corinthian believers, and, it's the, and, and that basis is on Jesus Christ. It's the same appeal that he would be making to us in Christ the King Anglican Church. I appeal to you by the name of Jesus Christ, because you believe that Christ is King. Okay? Then he says that that knowledge is based on, that Paul's, Paul's appeal at this particular point is based on a knowledge that there's divisions in the church. You see, he comes on down there. And therefore, there be, and that there be no divisions among you. No divisions among you. Divisions is the word uh, that, that we get our word schism from. And, and when we use that word, it, it means to, to tear apart, to rend. Um, you remember back in the Gospels? Uh, when it says that uh, don't put a patch on the wine skins, because if you do, it will tear them. That's, this is the word that's used. This is the word. It means that if you have a garment that you tear, you've, you, you've taken it asunder. The verbal form is used in the, in the Gospels when it talks about what happens to the veil in the temple, that it was... It was torn from top to bottom, remember? This is the word. The word schism. The word tear apart. So that it's not there. Now let me hasten to say that there are times when that needs to take place. I am not saying to you that we do... That one of the things that I need to say to you is we are not ignoring primary doctrine 
when we begin to talk about I don't want divisions. Okay? One of the, re the reasons that we left the church, Grace Church, the Episcopal Church, was because, number one, they no longer held the scriptures as being the basis on which we would live our lives. And number two, Jesus Christ was not the only way to God. When it came to that point, that is primary doctrine that takes us away from our emphasis of God's glory and our salvation in Jesus Christ. At that particular point in time, we can't have fellowship there. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people who know and love Jesus Christ and believe that Christ is indeed the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through him, but has different opinions on different things. Did you notice what it said? Has different opinions on different things. If we came down through here, he, he would... There is quarreling among you. What I mean of is, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Any of those people bad people? Any of those people have bad doctrine? I, I, I don't think that was the point that Paul was making. The point that Paul was making was that there was pride on the part at who had talked with him and, 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 and who had given the message that Jesus indeed was Lord. Now, Paul may have, Paul's method of preaching may have been more aimed at Gentiles. Peter's preaching may have been more aimed toward a Jewish uh, uh, congregation. Apollos was a great orator. We, we, we learn that he's a great preacher, and he, and he does things well. And I think we all know who Jesus is. You know? But the problem was not that they were followers of these ones, but they made it a point of pride that caused division within the church. There was division in the church. Oftentimes in our modern churches, we talk about what our theological position is based on some theology that we identify, whether Calvinism or Arminianism. And after, the, after I finished preaching, our priest asked me to tell you what I meant by that. Uh, earlier today, um, and I'm glad you're going to be here for dinner tonight. What, what, I'm, what I mean by that, there are people who hold to a position uh, that emphasize the aspect of the election of God to his people. He has called them, they will come. Another group says, I believe in total free will, man is able to do anything he wants to do, uh, uh, and, and, and they, that he can come uh, to know those things. Uh, if we start to talk about Calvinism and Arminianism, the thing that's kind of interesting, you, you, you have a political, or you have a theological position. Uh, Calvin, uh, Calvin had a position, and basically what happens is uh, he, he says something, Arminius comes along and says, no, nah, I don't think so. So Calvin's followers become stick than Calvin was, and Arminius' uh, followers become even more Arminian than Arminius was. But what ends up happening is they begin to butt heads so that, that the theologies 
move them away from centering on Jesus Christ. Now, they think they're centered on Jesus Christ. But what's happening is that they're rending the church. They're tearing the church. Even though they both believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, that's simplistic. I understand that. I understand that. But what happens is that instead of us looking to see how we are together in the body of Christ, some people look to see how we're torn apart in the body of Christ. That's not what he wants. John MacArthur said, there can possibly be, just using the word John MacArthur, that probably sends uh, chills up and down somebody's back. That's okay. There cannot possibly be harmony in group, even a group of believers whose desires, goals, purposes, and ideals are generated by their egos. Few things demoralize, discourage, and weaken a church as much as bickering, backbiting, and fighting among its members. And few things so effectively undermine its testimony before the world. Quarreling is a reality in the church because selfishness and other sins are realities in the church. I want what I want. And what happens so often is that that means we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to fight about the method that we use for baptism. The other day on uh, Today in Church History, January 17, 1525, the Zurich City Council arranges a public debate on the subject of infant baptism, which Ulrich Zwingli mandated but Conrad Grebel and Felix Manns, among others, opposed on the grounds that baptism symbolizes a believer's commitment to Christ. Grebel and Manns were defeated and eventually killed for their views. God really lifted up the cross of Christ, didn't it? Or we don't, um, you know, we like... You know, there are going to be differences. We're going to have differences in our church. There are going to be places where we feel more comfortable in worshiping in other places. Types of music we feel more comfortable with. Um, um, the liturgy we may feel more comfortable with. But those things ought not divide us on the one true aspect that Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives and we need to follow him. So what does that mean? Paul says there ought not be any divisions among you, based not on agreeing with everything, but knowing that Jesus is the reason that the church exists, so that he might be lifted up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 through 26, he says, But God has so composed his body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So the idea is, he says, there's, there, you know, there's differences. We, we're, we're not going to agree on everything, but love and compassion and concern for the, for, for the saints of God. My daddy used to say that there is no army in the world that shoots its own wounded except the church of Jesus Christ. <laughs> I probably would not say anything here. My daddy would have probably been one of those that shot him too. <laughs> so. 
I love my dad. I love my dad, but I grew up in a very separatistic church. When you come down into this verse, he says I, uh, that all of you agree, and the agreement has to be Jesus is Lord. There is one way of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ alone. We've got to build our lives, our church, the glory of God that we give on the fact that Jesus came, died, and gave his life so that you and I can be part of his family. That's where we need to agree. Are there going to be some things that we're not necessarily going to agree on? Probably. But how do we do that is the question. How do we do that? One of the ways we have to do it is to keep our focus on Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. We come down in this passage when it says, but that you be united. You be united. That's another word that I really like here. It's the same word that's used over, it's the same word that's used over in Galatians chapter 6. Let me read this for you. Galatians chapter 6. Or if you have your Bible, look it up. It'd be great. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, my tra- in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That word restore there is the same word that we have here, united. And it's used sometime, uh, uh, it's used often in a medical term of, of, of setting a bone, where you set a bone so that it's put back together and so that it mends together. Okay? So that it mends together. Uh, we read about the, uh, the, the fishermen Mending their nets, it's the word. That's the word. Bringing it back together and making it whole. When we have that, when we have that bone being mended, hopefully it'll be stronger following the setting of it. But notice how it said to do it. Notice how it said to do it. Uh, let me, here we go. In a spirit of gentleness in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. And what he's basically saying, don't become proud because that's not where you are. But instead, let's lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Do we look to bind up differences we have that would keep us from Christ as the focus of our attention? Be careful that pride doesn't get in the way. My feelings are hurt. Somebody said something. Can I take care of that? Can I bind it up? Can I, can I bring about a healing process? If pride is the cause of division, humility is the formula for unity. Over in Philippians, there were divisions there as well, you remember? And in chapter 2, He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And what he's talking about there is humility. Be in humility. Who? The God of the universe did not think it was equality to be be named with, with God himself. 
but he made himself a man, made, a, made him one of, he became one of us. And it says that he suffered on a cross that was ennobled. I'm wondering if our pride would let us do that. He loved us so much that he was willing to die for us. That's what he calls us to do. That's how he calls us to mend our relationships with each other so that the, so that the message of Christ can go forward. You remember Jesus told his disciples, men will you know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's what this is all centering about. My love for Christ ought to cause me to love those who are his. One of my very favorite people in church history is George Whitfield. Love George Whitfield. Had the opportunity one time. Did you know that George Whitfield, did you know that George Whitfield had his sermons printed by Benjamin Franklin? Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin and George Whitfield were friends. Benjamin Franklin used to say when he would go to one of uh, the meetings that George Whitfield would have, he would not take money with him because he knew that when Whitfield started to preach, he would empty his purse. We need to work on that one, I think. <laughs> right, John? <laughs> but, but it was there. So we have Whitfield, one of the great, he, he was an Anglican revivalist. An Anglican revivalist here in the United States, not in England, here in the United States. And he was a friend of a guy by the name of John Wesley. Let me just read you something. In an article written by Tim Cook, the following takes place. Even though they never came to terms over their theological differences, they eventually learned to respect each other. Whitfield was a Calvinist. Wesley was an Arminian. Okay? If you read some of the things, there's the question on their part, gee, can they really be saved? That was a thought pattern that they had. But listen to what it says. One of Whitfield's followers, who obviously still held great animosity against Wesley, said to Whitfield, we won't see John Wesley, Wesley in heaven, will we? Whitfield replied, yes, you're right. We won't see him in heaven. He will be so close to the throne of God and we will be so far away that we won't be able to see him. At one point, when Wesley appeared to be near death, Whitfield wrote him and said, A radiant throne awaits you, and ere long you will enter into your master's joy. Yonder he stands with a massive crown, ready to put it on your head amidst an admiring throng of saints and angels. Wesley, though recovered from his illness, and Whitfield eventually died first. At Whitfield's request, Wesley preached at three memorial services held for Whitfield in London. Wesley spoke lovingly and respectfully of Whitfield and said, there are many doctrines of less essential nature with regard to which even the most sincere children of God are and have been divided for many ages. In these we may think and let think. We may agree 
or disagree. How were they combined? They were combined in their love for the message that Jesus Christ is Lord who died on the cross. That has to be the center of our attention in everything that we do. Divisions are prevented when we are reminded by God's Spirit that we are one body, we have different responsibilities, and with the purpose to glorify God through service in Christ. Will you commit with me to keep our eyes on Christ for God's kingdom and love his people? This means keeping short accounts with each other. Paul tells the Ephesians in chapter 4, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. That word corrupting, let no corrupting words come out of your mouth. Don't let words that are going to tear down or hurt people come from your mouth. As a kid, we used to have a saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Lie from hell. You say things and call names, it hurts. It hurts. And sometimes we perhaps do that in the church of Jesus Christ without thinking that God is the one who needs to give the glory and he's given us a responsibility and he's given the people about whom we speak a responsibility, but our words should be words that will build up. So when we talk to each other, do we use words that will build up or do we use words that are tear down? The cause of Christ can be diminished if we don't. He finishes that passage by saying, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In Paul's teaching on the Eucharist in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, he says, I've heard that there are divisions among you, and I believe it. He indicates that the divisions are there because they are not caring about each other, basically. There are those who are coming. They have more food than they know what they do. There are others who are coming and who have no food. The ones who have don't care about the ones who don't. And it's called the love feast, by the way. But the call for the Eucharist is that we love God and that we love each other. Paul tells the Corinthians to examine themselves so that they do not eat and drink in an unworthy manner based on what is my relationship. Prior to communion, we'll have, we'll have confusion. Uh, we'll have confession today. May, we already may be in confusion. But prior to communion, we will have confession so that we will be at peace with God. He will hear us when we say, we agree with you, Father. We did some things that we shouldn't have done, but we want to have fellowship with you. What follows? What follows confession and the absolution? What's the next thing that we do? We do the peace. The peace wasn't established so that I can go up and say, hey, it's good to see you. It's wonderful. You know what the peace was established for? So that before communion, if there was something between us, we could get it taken care of. That we could love each other and care about each other so that when we go into communion, we can have peace with God. 
keeping short accounts with God and keeping short accounts with each other. Father Don will say in the Eucharistic prayer, let me see if I can find it real quick. He will have the elements in front of him, and he will say, sanctify them by your Holy Spirit, and he will make the sign of the cross at that particular point in time when we are calling the Holy Spirit down to be in the elements that we are going to partake. Be for your people the body and the blood of your Son, the holy food and drink of new and unending life in him. And then what does it say? Sanctify us also. Set us apart also. To what? That we may faithfully receive this holy sacrament and serve you in unity, constancy, and peace. Pretty heavy duty, isn't it? May we be what God wants us to be as a church in Jesus Christ, where we love and care for the people in God's church and keep our eyes on Christ as our Savior, moving forward in his kingdom, because he's the one who leads and directs and humbly coming before him to be led.